0: Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guest is Toby Lutke, the CEO of Shopify, Shopify is a Canadian e-commerce company with more than 6,000 employees. Its mission is to make commerce better for everyone so businesses can focus on what they do best, building and selling their products. I was excited about this episode for a few reasons. One, this is our first members-only episode, and I couldn't think of a much more exciting guest than Toby to kick off the bonus content. But two... Shopify is an important company, and it's not just a huge financial success, but it's also a company that's deeply committed to purpose. And I've heard Toby talk before about how he wants to make sure that Shopify is a company that's around in 100 years, but he also wants to make sure that the planet is such that it's attractive for the company and us to be around in 100 years. And that's what led him to discover the importance of tackling climate change. Now, Toby's not an expert on climate, but he's a good example of somebody who understands that as a leader, it's important to care about purpose and impact as much as profit. And that even though he might not be an expert on a problem space, there are things that he can do and that his company can do to do its part. Shopify recently rolled out a sustainability fund where they committed to spending at least $5 million USD annually to fight for our environment. Now, it's just a start, and they've got a long way to go. We've all got a long way to go, but I think Toby's a good example of how you can come in not as an expert, and you can find a way to have an impact and then increase that impact over time. Let's bring him out here. Toby Lutke, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. As we said before I hit record, you're a much busier guy than I am. So I'm deeply appreciative that you're making the time to come on and talk about this important topic, especially given all the other important topics that you're out talking about and acting on these days. I love
1: your show. And I think it's this is a topic I love to talk about, but I actually don't get a chance to talk about. So this is just my pleasure.
0: Well, I publicly invited you on Twitter to come on the show without knowing that you were a listener. So I have to ask... How did you find our little show, if you even remember?
1: like Over the last couple of years, me and my wife have gone deeper and deeper into the topic of climate change specifically, like especially with decarbonization, negative, decrementing carbon. We have a small team like working on this, and we found that this, for such a big space, it's amazing how few people are scratching below the surface. So when I was sort of lamenting the fact that it seems like the motivator for a lot of people in the space is maybe not actually having the impact, but rather sort of doing something that they can feel good about. People told me, it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds what Jason tends to discuss. And you should really listen to the podcast. So this is how I found it.
0: Awesome. Well, it's such an honor to know that you're a listener. And I have to say as well, in prepping for this discussion, I mean, obviously, I knew Shopify by reputation, but I learned a lot about your approach. And there's a number of elements that really kind of speak to me, not the least of which is I feel like I would need a Harley. So the reason that you have a Harley and Harley is such a great compliment to you. And also the approach about this collective that's looking to unpack this problem and learn about this thesis kind of thing and that that kind of keeps people motivated over time, but it's not a capitalist pursuit to get rich or provide jobs. I mean, those are important byproducts, but not the driver. And then just kind of the continual learning and adapting and just kind of constantly taking you where solving the problem in a more holistic way takes you. That is really the MCJ spirit. So without officially being part of the community until today, you really embody the MCJ ideals. So thank you for that. But why don't we, I mean, just for me, but also just for any listeners that might not be aware, what is Shopify?
1: This has been a long story now, and it was in back in 2004, really very different age of the internet. For one reason or another, I found myself starting this online business. I was selling snowboards, and I really did have a garage full of snowboards and bindings and goggles and all those kind of things. And my role in this little two people diode startup thing was to do the technical side. And I imagine being able to set up an online store would be something that I can do probably in an afternoon because 2004 is a long time ago, it's 16 years ago now, but like there was a dot com. Rise and crash. And most of us companies were e-commerce companies, like other ones people tend to make fun of, if they even remember the dot-com crash. It's like the web vans and... Pets. Pets.com, exactly. All e-commerce. So I figured coming into this four years after the war thing, that e-commerce would be a solved sort of problem. And it turns out, although there was some software, there was clearly no one's built software for a new business that starts online. Like online entrepreneurship was not something that had been productized. And all the things that existed were old. And long story, I'm a programmer. I ended up just building my online store. I made the inspired choice to build my online store in Ruby and Rails, which wasn't even released yet, but I just knew I had access to it in pre-release and really liked it. And I had a great experience building this business, but have along the way experienced and found something that was really sort of a transformative event for me. And that was when I really got the first order, which was a couple of months after I started building this and deployed it and put it live. A gentleman from Pennsylvania ordered the first snowboard for me. And even though I knew exactly what would happen in this moment, like the email my laptop got was literally an email I had to type at some point, <laughs> like in the code. It just ended up being this profound event. Like it felt like that's the moment I became an entrepreneur instead of someone who built things. And afterwards, I started looking for chances to either experience this again, but rather because this is a sort of one time event, I realized helping other people go through helping with a similar journey would actually be much more meaningful to me personally. And so the software I built, I turned into Shopify. And this is really what, what Shopify is, is basically the software I wish I would have found in 2004, modernized to the right now. Take care of everything that software can take care of if you want to build a retail business. Because it's entrepreneurship is an incredibly important aspect. More than half of all people in the world work for small businesses. Small businesses die for one reason or another at times. So there needs to be significant replenishment of this to keep the pool there for all these economic impact for for employment and also just for new product generation, new idea participation. And I think the internet has been more beneficial to centralization and for one person becoming really, really big than necessarily for sort of democratization. I think we are feeling some of the effects of that these days. And so really Shopify is let's give all the things that the biggest retailer built for themselves, except give it to the people who just sign up today and to help them along. Try to massively impact the positive and the success rate of businesses online. And the cool thing is, if you put a lot of small things together, you end up with a very big thing. We have a million merchants, over a million merchants on Shopify now. And if you put it all together, all the businesses which start on Shopify and are using it, in terms of volume, it would be the second largest retailer after Amazon in the United States for online sales. So. It's a good story that's seen us grow from like the two of us all the way now to like 6,000 people and that's a public company and we prioritize learning, exploration, having a hypothesis and figuring out what the answer to it might be and this has been our path.
0: I heard you talk previously about how there was a transition point from thinking about the technology the business was a black box and that at some point you transitioned and then really kind of took on being a steward of the system of Shopify and not just the output that came out the other side. But I get from Shopify a deep sense of purpose. And I'm curious, is that something that you had going in or was there some kind of hit your head in the shower moment along the way? When and how and why did that purpose get infused in the company?
1: I think the driving purpose initially was curiosity and the desire to have a kind of problems for which we would have to learn interesting skills to solve them. I remember this with my co-founder Daniel. When we were deciding what to do, should we really do this Shopify thing? The motivator for us was honestly, why should we not do it? Like We don't really have much dependence and we can spend our time and it's probably not going to work, but we're going to learn a lot. So that was the initial reason for us to do it. Certainly neither of us would imagine that we would make money with it. In fact, neither of us took. We didn't take a salary until I think the company was five years old. Of course, there's some privilege in being able to do this. We just all moved in (laughs) with my parents in law and just kept costs down. And this is how we could pull it off. But basically, we dedicated ourselves to Shopify just because it was interesting. But this moment of we kept coming back to the experience of this entrepreneurship, this helping someone have their first sale, like it really does change something. I'm extremely grateful to my grandmother who had this business that I experienced as a printing shop. And grandma was an entrepreneur. That's just her identity. Like people in my family talked about grandma in that particular way. She's an entrepreneur because at some point the first person walked into her coffee shop. That's why she's an entrepreneur. It's a fundamental identity changing event. And so the purpose became, this was so tangible. And now in the dashboard, I look at it, Shopify, again, it's not about what you think it would be, like clearly I'm looking at customer numbers and GMV and stuff like this, but the metric I like best is like about every 50 seconds on Shopify, someone has their first sale. That is now something we made significantly more common because of us following this interest of ours as far as it took us.
0: When I think about e-commerce, I certainly think about from a consumer experience standpoint, it's great and makes it more convenient and makes it more accessible. And I get that as a, small business starting out competing with giants, it is a way to get reach and leverage and distribution that you couldn't otherwise dream of if you needed to be in 10,000 retail stores, for example. But I also think of consumption. And so I find it interesting. I mean, do you feel like this kind of consumptive culture that we have of goods and material things and cars and houses and pairs of shoes and fashion and all the pipe cycles getting compressed and styles changing, et cetera, and Apple changing the format of the dongle so that they can force you to upgrade and all these things. Is that a broken part of our society?
1: Well, I mean, that's the deepest potential question you can ask about consumerism. It's hard to, you kind of have to then zoom out very, very far to zoom back in. I think to a degree, this is human nature. It's very easy to demonstrate through biology and through just reasoning about fitness, why the desire to accumulate resources would be an advantage to fitness in the Serengeti and so on. So, like we know this is fairly really deeply rooted. I think the topic gets a little bit too one-dimensional when most people reason about it. I think there is a difference between people desiring good products and sort of this general consumerism that we point at. Like, for instance, I don't think people keep buying and throwing away things because they love stuff. I really think people do this because they hate the stuff they get. If you go, like one shop that I saw, which I really like is this Canadian sort of local business called Viborg, which is very high quality leather boots. Now, if you buy one of those, you know who made this. Like this is a specific person made the boots. It uses the Goodyear welt method, which makes it very easy for anyone who knows leatherworking to resole the shoes. These things will probably last forever. Very expensive because it costs money to make things by hand at a certain level. But like you buying this forever, and and I think actually a lot of what we see in society is actually the lack of availability. You go at this from a systems perspective. Why is the quality of everything we buy so low? Now clearly this is motivated by. We needed to reduce prices to actually allow more people to participate in being able to acquire the kinds of things that are meaningful or at least needed by them, the necessities. But there's a lot of structure that ended up reinforcing bad quality products reigning supreme, such as the distribution. Just look at the last 100 years 50, 60. The only way we solved for distribution of products was through the department stores. Department stores stocked everything, department stores had very limited floor space. In fact, companies pay for getting into eye height on floor space and all these kind of things, which some people don't really fully understand the mechanics behind this. But because of this competition for good floor space, you end up in a zero-sum environment. So who is able to pay most is going to be the people who end up having the highest profit margin on a product. If your cost basis is better than everyone else, you can pay more for the good floor space. To get your cost basis to be lower, you have to reduce quality. Ideally, you also increase the packaging and use all sorts of other means of influence, like the advertising. There's an entire other thing we could talk about about, like the advertising monopoly that the consumer packaged goods basically had because they had more leverage over the TV networks and the TV broadcasters. So their cost basis for ads was lower. This is why we all grew up with the same laundry detergent ads and all this time. So you end up in this reinforcing loop that basically had nothing to do with quality anymore. In fact, the point was almost like because the You, the consumer, came to the department store, you purchased something, and if that broke, you threw it away. You didn't even go back to the department store. So there was actually no way, even if the conscientious business wanted to know in which way the boots that are being sold break, they couldn't because they couldn't access it. It was completely disinmediate. So what I like about the situation right now is actually we are going into this massive disintermediation of this particular channel and this direct-to-consumer thing happens again. And the direct-to-consumer movement is a lot more about quality. You see the Allbirds guys and their sustainability angle making real connection with the people who purchase those sneakers. They last. If they don't look, you send them back to them they'll send you a new pair and then they know. In which way these things failed, so they can improve the product. And that creates a completely different cycle of reinforcement. So I actually think in a lot of ways, the probably average quality of things consumed is going up significantly because the the entrepreneurs and the brands and the makers are actually getting plugged in again with the people who end up using the products. And I think there's, from what we're seeing on Shopify, yeah, there is fast fashion. It's not gone away. In fact, in some cases, it's going to get even faster. But we see a lot of alternatives for a lot of people who want to buy differently, and we see that increasing across the spectrum, which I think is really cool.
0: And so, I mean, what you're talking about not only speaks to being better for the planet, but also speaks to building a longer term, more durable product and company and brand. And I know in one of your blog posts where you talked about carbon, you mentioned the importance of not just wanting to build a company that'll be around in 100 years, but making... Life in 100 years and the planet in 100 years be a place that's attractive to be around for. And I'm curious, where did that come from? I mean, how and why did you start taking that long view? And why do you think it's such an exceptional one, given that it seems to make so much sense?
1: I try to hold myself in a company building to the high standards I can sort of think of. I use a term called comprehensivism, which is a lovely term coined by Buckmeister Fuller which really sort of says you need to think about you are not allowed to micro-optimize in your sort of arena. You have to look at comprehensively the entire planet. And so what that means to me is that like a company, especially company, companies are important. We all spend enormous amounts of time if you work for companies, with these companies, that's where a lot of our effort goes into. That's where we spend a lot of time. That's where a lot of our camaraderie comes from. And the journey we're on is kind of path dependent on what the company is doing. So companies need to, in my eyes, think about the world really, really holistically and specifically understand what the externalities are of the companies. Now, externalities is a topic which comes up in climate all the time. We know that pollution is largely a negative externality which happens to not be taxed back to the factories, and that's causing all sorts of problems and really needs solving. But externalities, there's positive and negative and also neutral externalities of companies. I think one externality of Shopify is more employment, which is I'm really, really proud of. There's more people who are going to work for more people, like entrepreneurs, because more people are going to give it a try to build a company if it's something that is easier. That's an externality. And by the way, the criticism of a lot of, especially tech companies, often is about their externalities. It's like the unintended side effects of them succeeding, maybe having side effects in society that might not be desirable. And they seem- to not get
0: Like conscious. Airbnb driving up rent prices for locals.
1: Exactly. I don't think that nets out Airbnb as a bad company. It's just they need to acknowledge that that is something they do. And they need to have a story about how they still net out positive. Companies need to be positive some. For the world, and not just for their shareholders. And I think this is a very, very large piece of confusion has been caused by this old Milton Friedman idea of shareholder capitalism. I think that's a terrible idea, and I don't think Milton actually thought this was a terribly good idea after he penned his piece. Like Shopify's Canadian, we are not even allowed to be shareholder companies. We have to be stakeholder companies. Our part articles of incorporation demand this from us. We have to act in the best interest of all stakeholders, which includes the shareholders, of course, but like the employees, of course, super important. And the customers are super important. And frankly, our local communities that we have our offices in, obviously the environment is a stakeholder. So this is important as a transition piece. And I think this is generally starting to be understood, even in this sort of more Milton sort of inspired American business culture lately. And so environment just comes up as an important point. And also, by the way, I grew up in Germany. So like I had a Green party leading the country I grew up in, or at least being part of government for as long as I can remember. So maybe some of us, I think Germany did a good job like keeping this on topic before it was fully woke. And so this is something we wanted to do. We've calculated the carbon footprint of Shopify entirely. And we've done what I thought was the right thing to do, which is we bought all the carbon credits and offset everything. And at some point I was like, well, hold on a second, like just explain to me exactly what we are buying. And then that sort of started a journey of like just digging below the surface, which ended up being really, really consequential for me personally, because frankly, I just wasn't impressed by what I ended up finding.
0: And when you had that realization where you said, well, we want to build a long-term company and we're not on a sustainable path on climate, and we need to play our part to make sure that the, not just Shopify is strong, but the underlying foundation of the planet we live on is strong to support us, our employees, and all the other people in the world. Was it a long road to go from that realization to action? It took longer than I would have expected. And maybe I think a good deal has happened in the
1: year, year and a half, two years since we went through, or maybe I just know where to look now. I thought it was very, very tricky to find initially the people who were thinking, again, holistically about the world space. Like, for instance, I wouldn't say the carbon offsets that we ended up having and purchasing were the worst, but like, I found out that there's a lot of carbon credits in the world, which are really just, if you have a particularly bad factory, something really polluting, and you tear it down and you replace it with a really clean one, that's really, really good for the environment and you should do this. But guess what, right now, it actually behooves you to actually turn that factory back on for a little bit, as bad as it is. Just accept the negative externality, then shut it off retrofit the existing one to put all sorts of filters you can put in there to capture the carbon emitted and all these things, and then run this sort of improved version of this really bad thing which you really should have replaced. Because now you're going to end up not just running a factory. It's not as effective as a new one would be, but you had lower capital costs to do the retrofit. And you get to sell the difference between running that really, really bad polluting previous factory and all the changes you made through the filters and you can sell those as offsets. So you might actually end up making more money this way than if you would have replaced and done the right thing. And just, I find, I'm not saying this is, happens everywhere and always because there, you have to be a little bit, you really have to not give a shit to act like this. But it happens enough that there's a lot of these carbon credits which actually don't really do the thing. One thing I learned with Shopify, I think I've said this in the same blog post, is there's these amazing entrepreneurs, like I'm thinking of Leanne who ran a business that sold really, really, really great fashion, but it also happens to be vegan fashion. But that wasn't the point. That was her point, but not the point she was making to the customers. She just saw really, really good articles. The way she explained this and why she wanted to ha- run this particular business is because she said every single time someone purchases a piece of outerwear, they actually vote. It's a democratic process. They vote not just for... Me, as an entrepreneur, they actually vote for literally everything that made this product happen. And if you have two businesses next to each other, and one of them causes an externality like animal cruelty, which is uncaptured as an externality, and the business right next to it is vegan, but sells better products, every dollar that doesn't go to the animal cruelty one, but goes to the vegan clothing thing, actually votes for the entire planet to rearrange itself to provide more of that, because that is the market you're pushing. That's what you're causing. So people actually change the world significantly by the way they spend their money. And so this is on my mind when I'm saying, what am I actually buying? What am I actually going to cause the planet to provide me more of? Do I want more factories to be turned off or turned on again, even though they shouldn't? In our case, what we ended up, like a lot of our carbon credits ended up coming from other sources like natural gas capping uh, landfills, which is not a bad thing, but doesn't do anything for what I think is the largest problem, which is the amount of carbon in the air.
0: Just backtracking a bit, was the first thing that you committed to doing then, figuring out how to get the company to carbon neutral within the walls of the company? Is that where you started?
1: Yeah, that was the starting point. I forgot. I know there's like three levels of us. I just forgot the right terms for them, but we want to get as far as we can. We want to take this as far as we can and just trying to understand what it actually takes, where our emissions are. Even That was a tricky project. It's harder to do this than you might imagine, especially for something-
0: Just to understand where you are today, let alone set a benchmark and figure out how to make those improvements. Well, and also
1: you get into these sort of subtleties. So like a package traveling from one point to another. So that has been caused by- Shopify was involved in brokering the transaction, absolutely. But the package is then mailed by one of our customers. So is it their responsibility to count the carbon? but it's also transported by UPS. They are technically driving the trucks and or flying the planes. So isn't it their responsibility trying to make these decisions? It's actually like, how do you count this?
0: It's a weird analogy, but it's kind of like when you're shoveling the public sidewalk in front of your house and where does your house stop and the neighbor's house start? And since you're shoveling it anyway, shouldn't you just shovel the whole sidewalk? Because people walk down the whole thing. They don't just walk down the piece that touches your yard. I think that's the point you're making. Where do the lines of demarcation stop so that everyone owns their piece, but that collectively we get the whole thing?
1: Exactly. And I think what we ended up deciding is we seem to care more about this than everyone else. So we're going to do two things. One is we shovel the entire sidewalk, ideally, because we just apparently care more about sidewalks being snow-free than everyone around us. But B, let's make it really, 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 really simple for everyone who also happens to agree that sidewalks shoveled are a good thing to get their sidewalks shoveled, ideally with a single click and some robotics involved or whatever. I'm overstretching a metaphor, but this is sort of a role we want to play.
0: And from a progression standpoint, so if I'm hearing right, you started down the path of getting to carbon neutral for yourselves. And as part of that, you were trying to understand and then chart a path to make improvements and then offset in the interim. You uncovered as you were offsetting that some of the quality and transparency was crap and you started looking for ways to offset that higher quality while you're charting the path of improvement and then concurrently started looking at the rest of the footprint or life cycle of that journey outside of the walls of the 6000 Shopify employees
1: exactly and specifically I try to reason about these things from first principles if I can like it's, it's hard to do this and I'm also like I don't have a background in I'm not a chemist I can basically just repeat what other smart people say and then hopefully synthesize some of those kind of ideas. But the fundamental problem that I keep coming back to is right now this planet is pumping about a 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers cube of pure carbon atoms into the air every year. Just from a land use issue, if we would be super efficient at getting carbon atoms out of the air and just being able to fuse them together into a stable (laughs) cube, I don't even know what to do with a 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers cube. That's like, where do you put that? And that's just what we add to the air every year. My issue is with so much about in the sustainability circle and in climate circles, is that I don't think we acknowledge the problem. Like even the Paris Accord is largely about how we can stop growing the cube rather than getting anything out of the air. So I have a CO2 meter here behind me. I have one in this room I'm in. I have a big window, it's only cracked open. So now currently it's at 770 ppm, which means I should open the window more. But even if I would open the window now perfectly and there was, would be a wind, it would go down to 400 something ppm. At the beginning of the industrial revolution, it would have shown 225 or something with the outside air. We put a lot of extra carbon into air, <laughs> And there's all sorts of interesting effects which you don't have to get into or that come from having tangible problems. I said I wouldn't get into it. I really shouldn't. But it's like once you're over a thousand, your IQ drops. (laughs) They tested this over and over again. If you're in a room with too much CO2 in there, everyone's ability to do mathematics and so on actually deteriorates. So like from a purely intellectual perspective, we really should solve this problem. Even if you're not worried about the planet, we we can agree that we don't want to make all of society a couple of IQs dumber (laughs) by just pumping more and more carbon into there.
0: And it'd be great to get into. So, I mean, as you've uncovered this and then more knowledge is making you more concerned and then you become determined to both personally and from a Shopify standpoint, play the biggest role you can in trying to help address this problem, which I think is great. Where are you today and how did you get there? And the reason I ask is not just from a Shopify standpoint or from a personal standpoint, but also many of our listeners might be also leading companies or also trying to figure out personally how they can help. And so it'd be great not just to talk about your successes, but also just to talk about your process and journey and learnings, because I think that will inform me and other listeners who are trying to go on their own journeys to figure it out. Step
1: number one is like, let's acknowledge the issue. And
0: unfortunately, I think because of
1: a lack of scrutiny, I think the sustainability industry kind of built a lot of I call them pressure release valves. For the people who want to do something, it's super easy to do something. Everyone's gonna push you products that do something, especially in the offset space. Everyone should make a decision of what they actually want to do. Pick a topic, make it reforestation if you want, make it carbon decrements, like actually getting carbon out of air. Although that's really, really tough to do. But we can talk more about that because that's sort of the direction we are looking in. I think pick a topic. And then if there are great offsets being offered in this space, then I think it's worth doing. But I think the step number one is have some form of a vision for what you want to cause. What is the thing that you actually want to change? And then once you purchase products, ensure that the thing that you want actually happens more because of you purchasing these offsets. Because again, like this is getting too technical, but offsets, trade on a market. Like Usually when you buy an offset, you're buying them from someone who's not actually the person (laughs) who has the solar farm that they promise you. You're buying it from someone who bought it from them, who waited until the demand was higher, and you just now paid. They made the premium. That doesn't cause more solar farms to be created directly anyways, in a very indirect way it does. But is that what you want to cause? More importantly, understand the impact of a company. Go through the exercises. I won't go into how to do this. as people who very good at this kind of thing. We built a team that did this internally. For many other companies, emailed me and said, hey, we've gone through this exercise. Can you sort of eyeball our approach before we announce it? And then we are happy to do so. We have some really, really great experts on
0: it. What do you call that team, by the way? Is that a sustainability team or does it have a different name?
1: We call it sustainability team for simplicity.
0: And where does it live? Who does it report into? It reports directly into my chief of staff. Got it. And so that decision was made because you see it as a cross-functional activity that shouldn't report into any one specific function, but should have purview in a more holistic way across the organization? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the goal of that team is to get everyone aware of a decision they
1: make. And people are thinking funnily about decision-making. My experience has been, whenever a decision has to be made, there's usually like, yeah, there's a couple of bad ways to go, but those are actually To the disciplined companies which think well about decision making, those are usually fairly easy to discard. But a lot of effects and the quality of the business ends up coming from recognizing that there's like five or six or seven good decisions that you can make, but that they all have very different long-term repercussions. And so not stopping at saying, hey, we discovered one of the good ways to go. Actually, let's look at all the good ways that we could go and then see if there's other stakeholders we can take into account. And realize that one of those ways ends up being superior. This really around sustainability is fairly often the case. Again, because there are so many products that are really kind of, this is not a new idea, but I do think that a lot of products being sold around sustainability and around offsets are really the modern equivalents of Catholic indulgences. Here's a way for you to pay money, which is something that's dear to you and you can sacrifice here so that you can feel better or that you can get some checkbox on some report. I think it is important to just think a little bit deeper about these effects. Also, the community, the sustainability community or the decarbonization community has to come up with better labels. It has to figure out how to explain if something is avoiding more carbon to get into the air or if something actually decrements carbon. And sometimes this gets really difficult. Like, what's a tree? A tree is a solar-powered, self-repairing, self-replicating machine that takes carbon atoms with the help of sunlight out of the air and then turns it into wood or whatever. That's cool. Sounds amazing. Problem is, 30 years later, the tree's done with that, and then it's going to release all the carbon back into the air. Is that actually decrementing carbon by itself? Probably not. It certainly helps us temporarily if you have more forest cover then we get a bunch of carbon out of the air, but it's going to come back. So we buy time. If you really want to sequester carbon using trees, you have to look at other ways of doing it. But this gets into a lot of people faint even hearing this. But honestly, if you plant quick growing trees, and then after a certain point of maturity, cut them down and bury them, that's actually a lot better for the environment than it is to just let them grow as heretical as it sounds, because luckily, decomposition doesn't work really well underground because it doesn't have enough oxygen there.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of what I'm hearing from you is that offsets haven't been high quality. And here are some ways to make them higher quality. Is that true?
1: Yeah. For instance, we have committed $1 million, which I would love to get up, to just buy direct carbon capture offsets, like futures, whatever, at any price. Right now, there's basically two companies which do direct air capture, or free. all of them in prototype, none of them at scale really. Climate Works has a proper plant, but you end up paying like $500, 600 $700, up to $1,000 per ton of carbon that has actually been taken out of the air. That's, you can buy a ton of carbon offsets for $6 sometimes.
0: I guess I'm finding, I mean, we could have a whole conversation just about that, but I have a more fundamental question, which is, if the logic is that... Offsets are crap, and here are some ways to have higher quality offsets. Couldn't you use that same logic and say, well, higher quality offsets are crap, and what you really need to do is, if you want to solve this in a more sustained way, is reform capitalism and get out of the mode of GDP growth at all costs and be more about harmony with the planet and with our resources and with our society and fixing inequality and things like that versus a healthy economy as a growing one?
1: This immediately gets into the continuing on economy growth. Without capturing or somehow taxing or somehow dividending the negative externalities, this can only lead to one space. And I don't think anyone, like not an economist in the world, would wouldn't agree that this is causing a huge problem for the environment. I don't think we need to actually say goodbye to the entire idea of capitalism. I think capitalism can, like stakeholder capitalism. We need to reform capitalism. That's I think the point. Like we can't have companies that can make enormous amounts of money by just externalizing all their costs to society.
0: But how do we reform it? I mean, is offsets the primary way that you're advocating that we reform capitalism? Or are there other measures that you think would be more impactful? Or I guess said another way, just necessary parts of the equation to complement the higher quality offsets.
1: If I had the magic wand, I would create like a global same day carbon dividend idea that's (laughs) well designed. Again, we have a magic wand. So like this is it's easy to say these kind of things with a magic wand. If I get my hand on a magic wand, this is honestly probably the one edit I would make on the climate side. Because you want companies to the economy, markets are really, really powerful. Markets cause the things that markets benefit automatically. So it is so trivial. Like just take concrete. Concrete is 16% of entire energy usage. Of greenhouse gas emissions. Massive. It's one of the biggest parts of it. They're using the Portland method of creating concrete, which is probably the worst. It's just the best understood. And there's kind of no reason to switch it. Now, there, there are companies like Carbon Cure, which are kind of figuring out, and then some others, I forgot the name of the one from New Jersey, which are kind of trying to make this more efficient. But the problem is, it takes them so long to convince the concrete makers to do this, because basically the concrete makers have to say, I believe in climate and I'm going to accept slightly higher cost basis for doing this. And I'm going to use this as a brand to kind of get people to use my concrete, even though it costs a little bit more, although it lasts longer too. But the problem is the guys who make concrete down the road are not doing this. And there's a lot of projects which go to the slowest bidder. And so, I mean, I'm not explaining to you anything you don't know, but like the moment that the actual energy input is going to be factored into concrete in some meaningful way, suddenly using less energy and using less negative externalities becomes not something that anyone has to argue for. It is self-evidently the direction companies are going to go. And I think the effect of that would be significant.
0: And as the CEO of a publicly traded company, do you think that you and other CEOs or that other publicly traded companies for that matter that care about climate and believe that a price on carbon as you described is the most beneficial thing we could do if we had a magic wand. Do you and others have a role to play in helping bring that about. And also, I mean, do you think it's ever going to happen in our lifetime?
1: I mean, my hope is that this is sort of like, first gradually, and then suddenly, that would be the way it happens. I mean, to a certain point, like at least in Canada, we have it. It's has large enough holes in it to drive a truck through. <laughs> but it's a good first step. I hope so. And then can we play a role? Absolutely. I'll be on record saying this is the thing we should do. I think climate is something we have to solve. I emphasize for people who say, hey, we can solve this problem by turning the lights off every night. I do think even such things end up causing a lot of... When you feel like you do something. Once people feel like they do something, they feel like they're doing something. There's a lot of easy ways to do something. I think a lot of people have sort of made changes to their lives that sort of satisfy them, that they are helping with the issue. I think there is a cap to how much effect can come from that. I think fundamentally, we have decided to organize our planet in terms of markets, and I think we need to modify them. I'm happy to go, and I have when I get a chance to talk to politicians, I bring this concept up a lot.
0: So where is Shopify on that journey? Because I know we're running out of time here, but do you feel like you're still in the category of kind of doing something and feeling good that it's better than nothing, but not nearly enough, and you aspire to do much more over time, or are you doing a lot already, and you're proud and feel like you're punching above your weight class? How do you self assess on where you are and where you want to be?
1: I think we're still very early, there's a lot more to do and I think we have like the privilege at Shopify to be able to focus on such things and and we want to figure out I'm a techie so I'm almost thinking about Shopify trying to implement the reference implementation. Like the thing that is hopefully we can bundle up and saying hey here's a set of standards that we found to be useful how we think companies should evaluate their own role and then Here's a couple of degrees, depending on how far you want to go into how much of a personal impact you can have. And what we want to do is, first of all, it's not just Shopify. We have a million retail businesses on Shopify that we can and now are making it very, very, very easy to get the kinds of offsets that actually we think have a tangible benefit right now. And therefore, we can remove a lot of complexity from a day-to-day operations. Because again, I think the will is there. The question of how is often what stops people. In a way, friction ends up being the thing that causes a lot of bad things for our environment. But we are still very early because we are running out of products. If you want to decrement carbon, like actually get carbon out of the air through ways like biochar and actually direct air capture and so on, there might be supply for about $100 million of investment worldwide. And the only way to get the supply up for that is to spend a good deal of money building factories, factories in the sense of direct air capture factories, like places that really get carbon out of the air, and then ideally can either utilize the pure CO2 in some permanent way, like there's some great ideas around concrete, which helps, or try to get it sequestered or converted into some kind of stable form in some other ways. There's a lot of research that has to go into this. Through my foundation, we've contacted the people who wrote the papers on these topics, and we hear, you guys are the first people who ever contact me about this. And that's crazy. So
0: we really have to go beyond the basics. So I did an episode a few months ago with David Hennemeyer Hansen, who I know that you know, and he's not an optimist. He thinks it's too late, and he doesn't really see a way out of this pickle. Do you agree or disagree with that perspective? Are you an optimist? I think it's going to work out.
1: I'm optimistic. There's three ways to solve this problem, and one of them will stick. We figure out how to get carbon out of the air and massively reduce the emission site. I see the momentum to build up the understanding of this and bring this up. It's a daunting challenge. Just again, it's a 10 by 10 kilometers cube that we are putting into the air. I don't know how we're supposed to get ahead of it. But again, the Human Genome Project was a very big project. It was stated for 15 years. It took, after 13 years, they... Didn't even have 1% done. After 14 years, they had a percent done. After 15 years, We were done.
0: So you're talking about number one is direct air capture. What are two and three? Number
1: one is direct air capture and all sort of ways of getting carbon out of air. There's actually a lot about accelerating the natural processes of oceans. The biochar direction, there's leaves. This is actually a broader topic where some things look good. That should be everyone's favorite way of solving this problem. Number two is frankly, energy breakthrough, because every problem is an energy problem. Direct air capture is an energy problem, fundamentally. It costs a lot of energy to, to, to capture. Most wars are fought over resources, which, again, are just another form of energy. If you have a fusion breakthrough, then that solves the problem as well, because it will drop the cost basis of energy creation to such a degree that all other methods of all carbon-based Methods of energy creation will just become so uneconomical that over the next 90 years, the oceans are just going to pull out all the carbon out of air by the natural processes. And there's a lesser problem that comes from ocean acidification that comes from this. But maybe if we can figure out fusion, we can figure that one out too. And the last one is terraforming. I'm a super not fan of this, but putting sulfur in the air is going to be the last line of defense. And I think all communities need to work hand in hand on trying to make this so that we don't have to use this. But Those are the three layers of solution to at least the particular problem of global warming, although that does nothing for environmental.
0: And given that there's an audience on this pod of people that are tackling this problem from all different backgrounds and perspectives, innovation, capital, policy, academia, government, elected officials, etc., what do you want to hear about, either from a personal foundation standpoint or from a Shopify standpoint? Is there anything you're trying to solve for? Or if a company was doing X or a nonprofit was doing Y? And if the answer is no, that's fine, but I have to ask. The things
1: I'm looking for specifically right now is, like, again, this is actually, it's not a science problem. It's not even a company problem. It's not even a sustainability issue. It's actually a branding issue. Just we need something new. We need something that isn't just offset or not offset. If we look at something how do we reason about if that actually net removes carbon or if this just slows the point of emission or if this is just a temporal sequester? I think once we have language and build up equity in this language, just the nature of the problems will change because suddenly I think automatically you will get more demand for the kinds of things that will make lasting change because people can ask for it. Right now it's, we have to sit down for an hour and talk about this or you, people have to subscribe to your podcast to really understand how many different layers and, there's, and this is too hard. Otherwise, we need more people actually in research. The research is surprisingly not as far along as you would
0: imagine. Research in terms of finding projects to offset that are of higher caliber, higher consistency, and more transparency, correct? We need new ideas
1: for tickling the chemical processes. CO2 is very stable. It likes its carbon. It really doesn't like to give it away. We have seen challenges like this before, and we figured out ways of compelling molecules to change. This is an active area that needs to be figured out. Similarly, converting the gas of CO2 into either products or stable form for proper sequestration is also something that there just has to be a lot more research. And when the community just has to ask, I think all companies, and this is not just a sustainability topic, all companies really need to think about how their companies sit in society, inclusive of all the externalities. Like this topic of externalities has to be more in the conversation. And I'm not just talking like, this is really like, who benefits from your company's success and who doesn't? Is something going away that might be valuable when you succeed? It's okay if it does, but just make sure it nets out positive. I think this is the fundamental thing that I really hope the world has closed its doors on. Companies that kind of just can sort of sit in a particular swim lane and hyper optimize for value extraction in the swim lane, not having to look beyond. I think that's what the energy companies are all hearing right now. And I think this is what I think every company in the world should be asked. And frankly, for the people who build infrastructure, we should make sure that we make it easier for companies to have a good story, especially on the environmental side. And this is something I'm trying to figure out with Shopify. And then governments, I get it. I understand governments are the ultimate of multiple stakeholder environments. We as a society have to move the ovation, the overtone window to the point where the majority opinion is just going to be that every company has to be responsible for its externalities. And then we need broad global conversation around how this can be introduced, at least in the larger unions. I get the arguments about why no one wants to do it first. I totally get it. This is legitimately hard. No one wants to lose their domestic industry on, especially the sort of manufacturing side and so on, because suddenly the cost basis goes too high because some new taxes, which the neighbors don't have to pay. I get it. But this is why we need a global approach. And it's just like we've solved global challenges before. It's just we really need the leadership around this.
0: Toby, I know we're a few minutes over here. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have or any parting words for listeners?
1: Keep digging deep. And the conversation is the most important thing. Like this is underexposed. Five years ago, if you would have come to me and said, hey, once we do sustainability, we actually will have to go read white papers and sometimes cause some new original research into topics just to get answers on things that seem fairly basic, I wouldn't have believed it. It seemed almost like, remember the story I just told in the beginning, of, like I came into e-commerce in 2004 and figured we've done e-commerce for all this time. Clearly, we figured out how to do this. And no, we didn't, absolutely. Like no one's built good e-commerce software in 2004 yet. And definitely no one helped the people who wanted to start into the e-commerce space. And this just kind of reminds me a little bit, like there's so much stuff going on, but so much of it cancels each other out or just again, does something and therefore relieves the pressure of people wanting to do something and wanting to do something good. And this is a planet we're talking about. Like e-commerce, who cares? Like what? Shopify would never have happened I imagine something would have come along and maybe fewer people would have ended up having online stores now, which is regrettable, but it's not the end of the world,
0: but sustainability kind of is. Well, it's funny with MCJ, which is kind of short for My Climate Journey, started with the podcast, but there's this great community that's emerging and half of it is new blood that's coming into the fight like me, who's committed to solving the problem, but doesn't necessarily know where to start or how their skills are transferable. And the other half is people that have been working on it for a long time from a wide range of industries, perspectives, geographies, et cetera. And our purpose is to, for people who are determined to tackle the problem, that are ambitious to work on the most impactful stuff, that are optimistic that we can make a dent and that have a collaborative spirit, but that don't have the answers, This is a community where they can gather and compare notes and be on the journey together. But also from an MCJ standpoint, we aspire to give them more picks and shovels over time to help them be more impactful. And some of that is knowledge. Some of that is connective tissue events, training, mastermind group, service years, capital, et cetera. And I had never thought of this analogy before, but it almost sounds like what you set out to do with e-commerce in 2004, we're setting out to do with making addressing climate change more addressable for the masses. Absolutely. This is how all change
1: happens. It's like get a community of committed people together who have a hypothesis about how to do things better and just make it easy for other people to join the movement. That's what software is. That's what information is. That's what podcasts are for. But we need a facts-based, very scientific conversation, almost take it back to the top and re-derive our approach to climate. And we absolutely need to listen to the people who have been in this space for a long time and have them connect with the opportunity with the communities of people who are more action-driven maybe than people have been in the past. So all this has to be put together. And I think you're doing this. And I think this is extremely valuable. So thank you very much for doing this. And actually, thanks very much for the invitation. I appreciate it.
0: Well, you too. And I think it's phenomenal what you've achieved in a relatively short amount of time. I am long Shopify. So it's also, I mean, I fully believe that you've just scratched the surface of what you have potential to achieve from a capitalist standpoint, but I also really admire your approach, how you've gone about it, both in terms of the commitment of Shopify to be a good citizen for those around, but also for the people within Shopify and making it a great place for employees to thrive. And then thank you for caring about this problem because you don't need to, and many people in your position don't, but you do, and you've been showing that with your actions. And although you're early on in the evolution of the impact that Shopify aspires to have. You're already way ahead of the game in terms of most everybody else. And I'm confident that you'll put the same resolve and thoughtfulness to addressing climate change that you have to every other aspect of your business. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on My Climate Journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at my Thank you.